I've simply titled my sermon today called Praise God for Deliverance. When we hear the word deliverance, it carries the connotation, the meaning of something needs to be set free or someone needs to be set free. In the Old Testament times, there was a story of the children of Israel. They needed to be delivered from slavery. They had been slaves for many years under King Pharaoh, and there was talk of a deliverer. Somebody would come and deliver them. God chose Moses to be that deliverer. And initially, they were very excited and very happy. Somebody was going to come and set them free from bondage to Pharaoh. But as this thing got underway, you know the story of the ten plagues, perhaps, the book of Exodus, it didn't go so well. In fact, Pharaoh just made life harder for them. And eventually, they got delivered. And so they were delivered from Egypt. But then in the desert, things did not go well either. There were problems, challenges to overcome, and they did not like those challenges. So this deliverance thing was a process. It was a journey. And in fact, sometimes they even talked of going back to Pharaoh or to Egypt to um, again live there where they had been in bondage because they preferred that lifestyle before or over this hard life in the desert. All God was trying to do was trying to help his people like he promised he would. Sometimes in life, the hardest people are to help are those who don't see the picture. So I want to ask us, do we understand what deliverance is? Do we need deliverance? What's our concept? What's our view? What are our thoughts? I'm reminded of an old story I read many, many years ago of a missionary who went to, one of the, uh, who went to the continent of Africa, one of those countries in Africa, and in, in the continent of Africa, there's a country, I don't remember which country it was. He came to this one country in Africa to want to help those people. Now, of course, he's a white man from a developed and advanced world. So he's visiting with his tribe, and he had his people with him, maybe to translate and whatnot. So he gets to know this king of this tribe that he wants to help. What he learned very quickly was this king... This African king had this concept. He was advanced. He was far beyond this missionary who was coming there to help him. What this African king did not know was that he was the one who needed help to raise their standard of living, maybe health-wise, education-wise, what have you, because things were so primitive and, and so much need of so many things, whether it was medicine or, or health care or what have you. But he had the concept, he had the idea that he was the one, as the king, to educate this white man how much he could advance their culture and their lifestyle. Meanwhile, this white man came from a very advanced, very developed country. He, the African king did not view the missionary as someone coming to provide for his people more so who he could provide things for. What's my point? Do we sometimes view God this way a little bit? For instance, let's go back to the story of the people of Israel. What if they had given God the exact prescribed instructions? Okay, Lord, great idea. You want to deliver us? Okay, here's how it's going to happen. We want you to deliver us, but here's the, 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 form, here's the uh, itinerary. We want these things to happen. We're not in charge. Sometimes we have this concept that we know when we really don't. And if God would only listen to us, only do what we tell him to, then things would be good. As if we want to educate, inform, and update God a little bit on what we need. Okay, Lord, deliver us, but here's how. That's not how it works. We have this idea that 
if God would only get with our program, things would be A-OK. And I don't think I need to remind anybody what's on my mind right now. This whole COVID thing is a horrible problem. And it's being made out to this and that and the other and so much disagreement and conflict. But what's God thinking? Is there something we need to be delivered from in this situation as well? And again, oftentimes we look to God as somebody, if we could prod him enough, give him some updating, some reminding, just hold him accountable, maybe he'll do something. He does not need our advice. And oftentimes when we pray, even I find myself trying to give him advice, just like this African king tried to tell the missionary, and it was the exact opposite. So we have ideas, we have suggestions and plans. We believe God should be doing this and that and the other. And we make the mistake of putting ourselves above God. The idea is that if only God would do this and that, and then things would be nice. But it's not like that. Many people have the unspoken assumption that they don't need delivering, and in fact, it's somebody else. I just want us to think about this for the next little while as we go into the Bible times, and especially like the children's story where Tina mentioned the nation of Israel during Mary's time. It was bad. It was really bad, and they really needed a deliverer. And that was true. They, they really need somebody to deliver them. But you know when Jesus came, the Romans were in power, the Romans were in control, and it's true, they could be very brutal. And he did nothing about that whole situation. He still, when Jesus died, the Romans were still in power. They were still in control. And that was not the deliverance that God promised them. That was a deliverance they understood, perhaps, they were going to get. But the deliverance that God promised them was a much deeper deliverance. It was deliverance from sin. There was a lot to be fearful about in the land of Israel at that time, for sure. But this was not it. And even though the gospel story of Jesus is a beautiful story of hope and grace and deliverance, it was a difficult time. They were promised uh, a Savior would come. But I want to focus on a, on a character in the Bible. Um, his name is Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and he was uh, worshiping in the temple. It was his day, his day or his turn to lead worship, to sacrifice in the temple. And things changed that day for him. He and his wife Elizabeth were an old couple, and they had not had children. It was a disgrace for a Jewish woman to not be able to have children. But that day, as Zechariah is in the temple, he's offering the sacrifice. An angel of the Lord comes to him and promises him that he and his wife will have a son. And he doesn't really believe this. And to him, it's just uh, news that can't be true. And so the son was promised. The son would be a prophet. He would prepare the way for the Messiah. When Zechariah heard the story, he couldn't believe it. And he just has his his reservations about the whole thing. And it says that the angel of the Lord said, and because you did not believe or did not trust, from now till the child is born, you won't be able to talk. And from that moment on, he couldn't talk. And so as he goes out to the people, he's motioning with his hands what has happened, and they find out he can't talk anymore. So for the next nine months plus maybe or so, his tongue was tied. He couldn't speak. But then the day came and little... John the Baptist was born. They call him John the Baptist. He wasn't John the Baptist when he was born. He was just John. And then Zechariah, he could speak again. Now let's, let's read the story. Let's draw our attention to the story. I want to read Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 57. And this is the story of deliverance that, that uh, Luke writes that uh, um, Zacharias spoke about when it happened. 
It was not the kind of deliverance necessarily that maybe Zacharias was even expecting, but it was a story of deliverance nevertheless, and maybe far deeper and better than even he knew. Let's begin reading Luke chapter 157. It says this, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. Now remember, Zachariah still can't talk. Verse 61, it says, And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted, to be, what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. Remember, he can't talk. And he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Now, you can just imagine nine months not being able to talk. It must be hard. It says verse 65, And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's continue reading verse 67. And here's where the praise part begins. It talks about deliverance. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will, be, go, be, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways." to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise will visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is a message of hope, a message of trust, confidence for deliverance. As I mentioned before, I doubt very much that Zechariah had a full grasp or full understanding exactly what he was saying. It was a wonderful promise, a wonderful experience, and this experience had done something to him as an old man. Something had happened in his old age now that he would have never dreamed or envisioned ever possible. He was a godly man, a righteous man, but still not quite free from his own fears and anxieties and worries, and that's why he went through this ordeal. His experience with God's angel, not being able to speak for the better part of a year, now the birth of this child, it truly was an eventful time for Zechariah. And can just imagine how nice it must have been being able to talk again. That's what preachers do, talk. He was a priest. It's one of the worst things to lose as a pastor, not being able to talk. I wonder how he must have felt those nine months as a, as a clergy or as a religious person or as a, as a leader of a, of a faith community and can't even talk. 
But this was a very special event. And now he's able to talk, he talks. And he, he remembers the covenant, he remembers the Old Testament. He was a very knowledgeable man, it's evident in what he says in this passage. And God is going to restore things that had been lost. God would now provide ways for them to worship in holiness and the fear of God as, as he meant them to. And even though Zacharias here praises God, the people for whom this message was, not that many years later when John the Baptist was an adult and started preaching, they didn't really accept it all that well. Some crowds did, but we know when Jesus came and he was in three years, it was all over and he was crucified. And John the Baptist got his head cut off for speaking truth to power. But let's focus on this morning on a few key passages here. I'll, I just put them on the PowerPoint here. A few key words. The first one is verse 71. It says here, we should be saved from our enemies. That's deliverance. Did the people of Israel have a true understanding of who, quote-unquote, or what, quote-unquote, their enemies were? And of course, they would say, yes, we know. It's those, those, those awful Romans. It's those awful Roman people. Once, once we get rid of them, then we'll be free. And up to a point, maybe yes. But that was not their greatest enemy. The Romans were not their greatest problem. Their greatest problem was their own heart, their own self-sufficiency, and that's what Jesus came to address. And that's what John the Baptist was leading them to, to repent. And we know he did baptize people on confession of sins and repentance. It comes out again and again when we read the Gospels, how the people of Israel, how the Jews thought of themselves as being higher than anyone else. A bit like this African king I talked about. This missionary came to help him change his, his living standard, to up, to up his living standard, to, to um, hear the gospel and, and bring teaching and all kinds of things. And he had the idea that he was the one who should be helping others. Others should become like he was. The question comes again, how often does someone think it's the other person who needs to change, it's the other person who needs to be delivered, when it's my own heart that needs to be delivered? That was the people of Israel. So let me ask us today, do we know what enemy it is that we need deliverance from? Maybe that boss. Maybe that neighbor. Maybe it's fears and attitudes. We all have things we need deliverance from. Even old Zechariah, when he was doing the sacrifice in the temple, early part of Luke chapter 1, he needed deliverance from unbelief. The enemies we need saving from may not be the physical enemies outside primarily. They can be, but not necessarily. They can be the inner problems that we have. Let's read verse 72. It says here, To show the mercy promised to our fathers. He remembers what was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. God had promised them an earthly, physical, geographical location to live and to, be, to, to occupy. But that was not permanent. It was not, was, was, uh, that was temporarily. And I know people may argue about this and say that still holds true today. And I'm not going into that debate. But God was thinking far bigger than just one small slice of land where he's going to put his people and that's it. He wanted to bless all nations through his son, Jesus Christ, who would come through the line of David, who was from, from the, the uh, early fathers. God had in mind to send Jesus as King and Lord of the universe, not just a small strip of land. And he continues on in verse 74, to be delivered from our enemies so that we may serve him without fear. And I have to say, this is where I struggle. Serving Jesus, okay, but there's always a level of fear involved, even now when we debate and talk, how much can we, should we do? God wants to deliver us from that. 
Deliver us from fear. God delivered his people for a reason beyond just blessing them. He delivered them so they could serve him, actually. That was the reason. Since so might serve him without fear. Not so we could have life for ourselves. You want to know why we've been saved? As we said earlier, God wants to show us his mercy, like he promised long ago, but it's for a bigger reason than just ourselves. I sometimes struggle with this. When it says without fear, that's a very big statement. It's very deep. It's very powerful. And we should serve instead of with fear, we should serve with joy and gladness and abandon. We should celebrate. Sometimes I wonder when I think about this the other day as I was preparing my sermon, I was thinking, wonder what the angels in heaven are saying about us as human beings. When they brought the news of the birth of Jesus and that Bethlehem hill country where the shepherds were caring for their sheep, when they brought that news, and they went back to heaven and they discussed among themselves what they had just done. wonder if they were saying, well, those humans, they're so scared. Or those humans, they're so worried. Or those humans, they're so fearful. They're, they weren't. They were rejoicing. They were praising God for what he was doing. Of all the fears and all the things that people could have had. But it goes deeper. It's not just about serving him and serving him without fear. It's serving him in holiness, verse 75. It says, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's what we're delivered for. That's why we're delivered. That's the purpose. That's the goal. Holiness means set apart for a different purpose than just the here and now. So, can we do that? Can we repent of the fear, the greed, the addiction to whatever it may be that we have, the struggles, and allow Jesus to do his part so we can truly be delivered if this is going to happen, if this is going to be reality, we need to begin at the beginning. Let's look at verse 77. It says here, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That is so full. It's so loaded. There's so much packed into here. When we look back in holiness and righteousness, why? To give knowledge. That's the purpose of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins. You see how it's just building and building and growing and, and enlarging? It starts there. That's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants us to experience. And if we miss that, then all the rest falls apart. If we're not ourselves saved, nothing will matter. Nothing means anything. All of the good the Bible talks about only has value to us if we're saved and in relationship with Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, it's not us. It's God who saves us. He draws us. He invites us. We respond. We repent. We receive his grace. And as we respond, he starts sanctifying us. He makes us holy. And we grow in that holiness. We mature in that holiness. There comes a time when he starts using us more and more. That's the purpose why we're here to deliver us from everything that's destructive and harmful and damaging to us and make us holy so we can serve him and bring that wonderful news to everybody else. And it says in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. We become the ambassadors. We become the carriers of good news. Our deliverance is not just a small component of our walk with God. It's not just a small segment, a small little piece, a page in a book. It's, it's all throughout and God's people know this. 
And yet it's completely anti what the world is teaching us today. See, God takes delight in using his creation, his people, to bring the gospel message of hope and deliverance to the world, trusting that it will take root and people will respond and be delivered from the darkness and the bondage. Oh, we may still have all kinds of problems in our world around us. not saying that won't happen. Jesus said it would be that way. But we're delivered. We're set free. Free to be a light in a dark world. Today, you and I are God's vessels through which he wants to continue this message. And finally, he says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the destination. That's where we're headed. Is that where we're going? If you look at our world, it's not. If you look at the culture around us, the times in which we live, it's to rush into fear and chaos and, and uncertainty and worry and panic. In the midst of all that, we're go- that we see going on, if we follow this path, if we experience this deliverance, we will experience peace. If there's one thing, I mean one thing, that we could change about the world. There's many things, but maybe this is something that needs to have more focus. Focus on peace. So much unrest, so much confusion, so much chaos, yet Jesus guides us into peace. Let me ask this question. Have we been following Jesus? Have we been allowing him to guide our feet into the path of peace? When there's so much hatred and anger and division and frustration in the world, The world needs peace. And if it's not from the children of God, where will it come from? When Zacharias was given the promise he would have a son, he didn't believe it, didn't trust it. And as an act of power, God showed Zacharias, you won't be able to talk until this happens. What if we could only talk in accordance with our level of faith and trust in God? What if God would shut up everybody who didn't fully believe or fully trust? Might have an awful lot of very silent people in the world today. What if God would make everybody's tongue unable to speak and we would be silent if we didn't trust? I fear for my own well-being. I might not be able to talk. So I too need to grow in this. And when that little baby boy was born, Zachariah's tongue was set free. And lucky for him, it was only a nine-month ordeal. And he was delivered. It was a small deliverance in a way, but he learned a lesson. It taught him a lesson. And people were delivered in their day and time, those who repented. And that goes for us today. So what does this mean for me today and for you today? I know all our hearts and minds are daily on the struggles we face. We can talk about COVID all day long. But in God's realm, it's not that serious. And I apologize if this sounds um, um, insensitive or as if I'm not caring. I do care. But if that was God's biggest problem, then he would say it's a very small problem. It is a serious problem from our point of view. But from him, he's not scratching his head yet. In fact, God can allow much, much worse to happen. What he wants us to do is exemplify his character, the Son of Jesus Christ, in our lives as we go through this. And what that may look like is not the same for everybody. But at the end of the day, God wants us to live in freedom and holiness and righteousness delivered from sin. So let's praise God with what we have, the opportunities we have. Let's live in freedom and deliverance, and let's praise Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to make it possible. It was preached by John. It was lived out. Jesus taught us that. Jesus lived it. Jesus died. Jesus saved us. May God give us grace to serve him 
so, so we can serve in holiness and righteousness and be delivered from whatever it is that holds us away from him. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to serve together. Pray, pray, Lord Jesus, that wherever we are right at this moment, whoever's online, whoever's watching, that each one of us would feel your presence in some way. May we experience your grace. May we experience your strength and your courage as you guide us through the coming days. In your name we pray. Amen.